what are you known for? What are you known for? Think about that. Are you a good cook? Are you uh, handy when it comes to home repairs? I am not. Are you an automotive expert? Again, I am not. Uh, <clears throat> are you known for your creativity? Are, what is it that you're known for? What is it? Do you have it? Are you proud of it? Are you proud of what you are known for? Now, I'm sure for most of you, it's pretty obvious that I was known for being athletic. Um, and uh, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> when I was young, it, it, was, it was something that I was really, really proud of. And some of you are like, what do you mean when you were young? Uh, I, I, I was very proud of it. And, um, and, and now due to the, the pain that I have in my back and my jacked up knees and ankles, uh, I, I'm really a shell of my former self, and, and I, I don't know if I can deal with it. Uh, sure, sure, I could still fake it a little bit and get by, but it's definitely not what I'm known for anymore. Um, although the other day, I, I will have to admit, I, was, I, played, I must have played like 20 games of darts, and I went like 19 and 1, but you know... Uh, <laughs> Not that darts is athletic at all. It's really not. But uh, I just wanted you to know that I was proud of that accomplishment. And, uh, you know, if you have a dartboard, invite me over. <laughs> well, today we are going to continue in, in this, again, like I said, the People of God series. And what I want to do is I want to I be uh, grounded back into our passage of 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, great, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If not, we have it on the screen. And I just want to read this passage. Uh, we probably are familiar with it uh, just because of the last three weeks in this series. But I want, to, I want to pull two ideas out of this particular set of passage. So let's start in verse 9. It says this, that you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession beautiful. And he says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against our very own souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So Pastor Chris has spent some time unpacking this passage. And by the way, I, I hear that he landed safely in Kenya, so we're happy about that. Um, I, I uh, helped him get to the airport, and, uh, and I couldn't believe the weight of one of those. I thought, is he bringing rocks to Kenya? I, I don't... <laughs> like he, I thought, couldn't miss a workout. He's bringing his dumbbells. I don't know, you know... <laughs> So, uh, but no, he had a lot of material that he was giving to the pastors. And so I thought, man, we're going to have hernias pulling this thing out. 
But as Pastor Chris was, has been unpacking this passage, along with a slew of others, to help us understand what the Bible says about the people of God. And the two things that I want to highlight today from this passage have everything to do with what the people of God are known for. And if I were to ask you what we are known for, I might get many different responses, even maybe even glowing responses, right, from, from most of us in this room. Uh, that's why I'm not asking you. I'm less concerned about what we think the people of God are known for. I'm more concerned about what God thinks the people of God should be known for. And secondly, what people who aren't here are saying about the people of God and what we're known for. I mean, isn't that the real test of character, integrity? What do others say that we are known for? Well, in this passage, Peter says two things that we should be known for. And the first is, in verse 9, it says that we should show others the goodness of God. And the second part, which is found in verse 12, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now, Peter says that the people of God should be known for how we proclaim but also how we display the goodness of God towards others, meaning those who are not part of our faith or part of our church, and to live a life in such a way that it demands an explanation from those who are watching. So the word properly means honorable. It means good. It means right and beautiful. And Peter is saying that the way we live our lives should be the quality in which we are known for. Let me say that again. The way we live our lives out here, tomorrow, on Wednesday night, on Thursday morning, on Saturday afternoon, the way that we live our lives should be the quality or the characteristic in which we are known for. And in Matthew 4, verse 23, it says that Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. See, many scholars divide the ministry of Jesus into two categories, proclamation and demonstration. So in other words, Jesus didn't simply announce the good news of the kingdom. He didn't just go to the synagogues, but he also embodied that message of the kingdom. He personified it. He lived it out in the flesh through his compassion, through his powerful teaching, and through the way he lived his life. So through these things, Jesus displayed the authenticity of his message. And I believe that there has been much good work done on how to proclaim the message of Jesus. But in my opinion, much less has been done on what it looks like to personify or embody that message. See, throughout the Bible, Peter needed to be reminded of not just the message that Jesus was proclaiming, but also the way in which he demonstrated that. And I know I need the reminder. I don't know about you, but I need it. And I think that there might be some of us that need it too. We need to remember that the power of the gospel that's put on display 
is put on display through you, through ordinary people. It doesn't take a certain type of gift. It doesn't take a certain kind of element that you must acquire or have. God uses whomever he wants to use, and he uses that when the participant is willing. I always find it interesting that the earliest Christians were not only known as believers, but they were known as followers. In Acts 9 and Acts 24, they're known as followers of the way. They were known for their way of life. For them, following Jesus wasn't just an exercise in believing, but in living. Their beliefs caused them to live in certain, in certain ways, with each other, with their community, with other people. And you contrast that with today, where Christians are more known for what they believe and not what they do. And I think that that's so unfortunate because there are plenty of amazing people, Christians, Christ followers, who are doing incredible things with God, for God, through their willingness to participate in what he's doing in this world. But most Christians, at least in our society, believe we have an image problem. We, you know, you've, you've probably even thought about how Christians have gotten a bad rap in some way whether it's been this last year or maybe the last decade, maybe because of all the bad publicity. And although that might be true, it could also be said that we're doing very little to combat that negative view. There are a number, a number of studies and lots of articles and blogs you can read, and, and these are just some of the ones that I, 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 I gathered, but there's a lot of information that shares what people think about the people of God or Christians or just how they view us in general. And I thought, what better place to, than to share that with us this morning? So uh, one of the biggest issues, I thought I'd do that, one of the biggest issues uh, that those who are not part of the church have with Christians is that they see them as judgmental. You ever heard that? You heard that? I hear this word thrown around, I mean, all the time. Um, I mean, even Christians would agree that Christians are judgmental. Uh, and, but let's be fair. Let, let's be fair. Everyone... Christian or not, is judgmental to some degree. But this truth doesn't, that, that, just because that's true, it doesn't justify our judgmental views. And, and it isn't without mercy and recognizing that God has given that and the intervention of the Holy Spirit of Christ in me that I, I, I would be a judgmental person every minute of the day without that. And years ago, I realized how devastating judgment and criticism can be to others. So I try. I try to make it a, a, a lifelong battle against it. I love that we went through a series on, on racism, on ageism, on sexism, on classism. Because what it does is it brings to light the reality of what is still, what the, the work in which God is still trying to, to undo in me. And when I, when I surrender that, when I acknowledge it, that's the first step to, to that redemptive work in me. And so I, don't, I try to wage this lifelong battle against it. I try to confess of it every single day try to confess and repent of it the moment in which it enters into my mind. 
And that's been difficult, but I'm trying. I heard Kerry Newoff, who's a speaker and author and blogger, he said this once, very few, few people get judged into life change. Far more get loved into it. Maybe that's been your experience. Another issue people have with Christians is that they think that we're hypocrites. You ever heard that one? Yeah? Maybe? I've seen this word bother more Christians than any other word that you could ever be called. But the truth is, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm a hypocrite. My walk doesn't always match my talk. Does yours? If it does, then great. That's wonderful. I'm glad. But, but I don't have to drive in, in traffic too long before I think everyone in my way is an idiot. <laughs> my thoughts change. My temperament changes. Words start coming out of my mouth. Can anyone relate to this? You hypocrite. <laughs> one, last, one last thing that I'll mention, because there's too many, there's way too many, is that people say Christians stink at friendship. How many, I just, does, that, does that kind of sting a little bit? I mean, it does for me. Uh, how many people, or how many meaningful friendships, I should say, have you pursued with people who don't share your faith or beliefs? That's a tough question to answer. It's fine when it happens like, you know, it's just happenstance or convenient, but how many of us actually pursue that? Especially, in fact, that the, the Jesus pursued friendships with people who were different than him all the time, whose lifestyles were far different and even contrary to anything God would have in mind for them. Yet Jesus was their friend, and he went to their house for dinner, and he traveled with them, and he shared moments and meals and life together. And during the first two centuries, Christian writers arguing for the truth of Christianity would point back to the acts of love and compassion that was evidenced by the church. And see, following Jesus is primarily about following Jesus, not just saying or singing, although those are great things to do, but it, it it's really about loving as Jesus loved, living as Jesus lived, and teaching as he taught, befriending as Jesus befriended, and not out of obligation, but out of love despite their differences, despite their lifestyle, despite their opinions or, or beliefs about you, valuing them as human beings and blessing them because God has blessed you. They're not a project they are people who God needs, who, who need good friends, who, who will show them what real friends are and not just see them as a means to an end. That's a very difficult thing to receive for me personally. I need this reminder. I need this perspective that I, I might be judgmental. I might be a hypocrite, and I may not be the best friend to those who are not like me. That's a very hard truth to receive and swallow, but I'm working on it, and God's working in me. You see, it's, it's so amazing, I, I think, it, and we say it all the time up here, it's so amazing that you're here today, and we are so thankful. If you're visiting today, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. But I hope that you're not here because you felt like you needed to be here. 
but that you came expecting to meet God, to worship, to pray, to learn, to celebrate what he is doing in and through you. And I hope that you know that this service is, is nothing more than a place to gather, a place to gather to do all of those things, a catalyst for the week. It's not the essential piece missing in your life that's going to finally help you break through all those worries in the world. The truth is, it's likely you'll forget this message tomorrow. And I know that, and I'm okay with that. But we are in the Christmas season. You hear that? We say that all the time. We even said it today. We are in the Christmas season. That means that we sing Christmas songs and go to tree lightings and put wreaths up on our house and try not to be the person who's putting their lights on December 24th, but that will probably be me. But for what? Why do we do this? For Jesus? I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. They're all good things. They're great things. You should do them. You should do them for yourself. You should do them for your kids. And maybe if you're, if, you know, for you, if you're a Grinch with a black heart, you probably need to be like Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation and, put, and just go all out. Just go all out. Just do it. But listen, if what we say we believe doesn't lead us to living then we're not being the people of God that God has called us to be. It doesn't matter how many decorations or ornaments or nativity scenes we place all around every shelf. If the people of God are not living our faith in all seasons, then we might not be the people of God that God has called us to be. God's word says, We are to show others goodness, the goodness of God, and to live properly, honorably, good, right, beautifully among our unbelieving neighbors. See, followers of the way, they follow. We said that already. That's what they do. They live a life that reflects the one that they're following. Not because it makes them more spiritual. Please, Please hear this. I'm not saying that you must somehow muster up some kind of happiness or joy or fake anything. Please don't do that. That's the last thing God wants us to do. God wants us to live beautifully, displaying the goodness of God because it's a product of our heart and life that is surrendered, that is surrendered to him. It's simply a product of understanding what God has really done for you and how he wants to use you and your life to display that to the world. This isn't just for Sunday. This is for every day. A few weeks ago, uh, we had spent some time in our small group, and we looked at a passage that I wanted to share with you today. And it's one that I've taught on in the past, and and I I think it's pretty crucial to where we are in this series and, and what it looks like to be the people of God. So if you want, you can turn to John chapter 15. It'll also be up on the screen. And John chapter 15 was going to start in verse 1. But to give you some context, Jesus is with his disciples. He's kind of giving him some last words. He's, he's reminding them, look, 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 this is what's going on. I'm going, to, I'm going to die. I only have a few moments with you. I want you to hear this. Right in the previous chapter, he says this in John 14, that whoever believes in me will be able to do what I've done. But they will do even greater things because I will, be, I will return to be with the Father. So what seems so startling about that passage is that he tells his disciples that they would go 
and do even greater things on the earth than he did. And at first glance, you're kind of like, what? What's he talking about? Now, he wasn't saying they do more spectacular things, but greater things in the sense of reach and influence. Jesus lived in Israel most of his life. He never traveled outside of it like the disciples did. He, he never went beyond his small country. But today, the world has been forever impacted by the message and the works of Jesus because greater things were done through his disciples. So if you're sitting here in this room, many of you have, are both a result of those greater things as well as possess the, the, the potential for those greater things to be done in and through you. So that, that leads us up to John chapter 15, verse 1. So let's read. It says this, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, so Jesus is saying here that he is like this vine and that God, the Father, is like a gardener. And he says that the gardener will cut the branches that don't bear fruit, but he also prunes the fruitful branches so that they could be even more fruitful. He then says, you are already clean. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And I think that's an interesting statement to say there. So what is Jesus saying to his followers here? See, there was a belief then, and I think it even extends into our modern context, that we somehow have to get our act together before God will accept us. Have you ever felt that way? Can I just apologize? On behalf of anyone or any religious institution or any person in your life that, who has ever said that something like that to you, because that, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus doesn't require you to be clean or pure or holy before you come to him because he's the one that does that. This is why you may have grown up, I think, for some of us, in a church believing or maybe some other religious context that you never were never good enough or, or that you would never measure up. And I think this teaching couldn't be further from the truth that Jesus is speaking. Jesus does the cleansing, not you. And so then in verse four, he says this. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. The word remain is also a word abide. It's, it's, it's the Greek word menate, which means to stay, means to live means to dwell, live, dwell, abide, remain, stay in me. Now, you don't have to be a horticulturalist to know that branches that are connected to vines naturally produce fruit, right? Right? So in essence, I mean, if anybody has a fruit tree, you saw a branch on the floor, it's probably not still producing fruit, right? 
If it is, that's a miracle. Just call it what it is. Okay, so this doesn't happen. So in essence, Jesus is saying that as a follower, if you remain in me, if you just stay connected to me, with me, if you stay and live and dwell in me, something will be produced in your life. Something will be a natural byproduct of remaining connected. And Jesus calls that fruit. So for those of you who are wondering, this is called a branch. Exhibit A. Yes, uh, it doesn't take much to figure out that this is called a branch. Well, I, I also have uh, some, some fruit here. And uh, if, if, what Jesus is saying is that if, if we remain connected to Jesus, he says that, that we'll produce fruit just like a branch will produce fruit when it's connected to the vine. Now, is this branch connected to the vine? No. But I think this represents a lot of our lives sometimes. Like disconnected. And so then we feel this pressure to kind of take some fruit and like add it on just like this. Yeah. Now I'm a fruit tree. And we've we've put on this appearance and this image because of the pressure of what people have said about me. Because of the pressure and the, and, the, and the weight that I felt, maybe even some of the shame and the ridicule. But the truth is, I mean, all, all it takes is one good shake and these are gone. And, and it's not going to produce anything because it's not connected. Not connected to the source of life. And I think that every single one of us has experienced this right here. Like, this might be a picture of the life that you're living right now. And so we might be scrambling to find another fruit and just, oh, let's put it up, let's put it up on there. Okay, hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll stay. And there's no, there's no path for renewal and regrowth and transformation truth is, that, that, that stuff's not the real stuff. I mean, yeah, that might be a fruit, but that's only going to last for just a moment. It's not the real stuff. It's not a natural byproduct of an honest connection. And unless we're connected to Jesus, this stuff will never be a natural byproduct. It just won't. And this has not, hear me out, this has absolutely nothing to do with looking a certain way. This has nothing to do with with, with measuring up or being enough or, or anything or cleaning up your act so that you can appear or be seen, that has nothing to do with that. Do you know who Jesus' disciples were? People were hated. They hated these people. They hated the people that Jesus hung out with. They couldn't believe that they were having, he was having meals with tax collectors, which, you know, you're like, well, it's a big deal. I'm a tax man. Uh, you know, a big deal then. It was a traitor to the society, to their people. They were thieves. You have people who were, who were adamantly against one another within the same group of people. 
And so it's not about having your act together. It's not about measuring up because that, that, that's, that's the wrong focus. Jesus said to his disciples that they are already clean. It has everything to do with who you are connected to because if the source is Jesus, fruit just happens. Good works begin to flow and living properly and honorably and beautifully just begin to happen. I just said nothing about perfect. Nothing about having a standard like, here's you, here's me. Nothing like that. And you know what this fruit is for? You know what the fruit that comes from our life is for? It's not for you. It's for others. It's for others around you. It's that the people of God have always been a people group about that who are blessed by God to bless other people. The purpose has always been others. I mean, even while we're gathered in this place, we're gathered in this room, it still isn't for us. Yes, is it helpful? Yes, is it encouraging? Yes, it blesses us. But we aren't here just for us. We're here to be reminded that we're followers of the way and, and, and followers of Jesus. And our job is simply to just remain connected. We're not to worry about the fruit that's in my life or how things appear or make sure that my branch, all we have to worry about is remaining connected to him, to remain in him and to be reminded that he's cleaned you. He's cleansed you. You're pure. You're made holy. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are chosen. That's who you are. That's your identity. You don't have to put that on. It's already there because he's cleansed you. The people of God are people who live lives that are connected connected to a church, connected to a family, connected to people, connected to Jesus, the source of life. And when we're connected to the source of life, our lives start to demand an explanation. Why is there that fruit there? What, why do you say those things? Why do you live this way? And it's not about posturing. It has nothing to do with being fake, being seen in appearance, but a natural overflow of being connected. See, it's one thing to argue that Jesus can change your life, but it's another thing entirely to show you the change. Let me say that again. It is one thing to argue that Jesus will change your life. Like, I could say that right now. Jesus is going to change your life. He has. He's changed mine. It's another thing to show you that change in my life. And what I believe the world needs and seems to be waiting for is not more unconvincing words, but an embodied witness that clearly demonstrates a life that is not only dependent upon Jesus, but is constantly being remade new over and over and over again. I want to end by, by saying this. I want more than anything to help create the kind of community that meets real needs and subverts the culture around it. I want my son to grow up seeing biblical masculinity is found in Jesus, that my son exists to give himself away for something bigger than anything that this world claims is better for him. 
I want my daughter to grow up in a community that both tells her and shows her that she does not have to be perfect to be beautiful. I want her to grow in a community where, where that she finds that she is, she's reminded that she is lovely, that she is delightful, that she is empowered, that she is gifted, that she is worth it. Just the way she is. And I think the people of God aren't people who simply survive this world, but we are people who become dynamic movements within it. Who live out of this place of connectivity to the source of life because it brings vitality and empowerment, change, transformative change. Jesus said that the people of God would do even greater things. I I want to be a part of community who is known for remaining connected to the source of life and allowing the fruit of that connection to be the demonstration of that transformative work, to be the demonstration of that redemptive work that is possible and made possible through Jesus. And my question for you is, is is that what you want? I, I hope it's what you want. I, I know it's what I want, and it's what I want for my kids, but I want it for your kids too. I want it for this generation and the generation after this, I, but, but it has to begin in my heart. So I'm, I'm praying that Jesus captures my heart every single day. That's a, that's a common prayer in our household, that Jesus would continue to capture our hearts so that I might finally that my family might find us, that Grace Church and our community and what we may be known for is for people who are, uh, have our hearts captured by Jesus, who are remaining connected to Jesus so that we might be able to demonstrate and display the good works and the beautiful life that God has produced in us.